by reading from Ezekiel 36. You don't have to bother turning there. I'm just going to read a passage, and I just would love for us just to kind of let these words just kind of wash over us as we get started this morning. This is Ezekiel 36. I'm going to read verses 22 through 36. It's going to be on the screen, but starting in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall become clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant. And lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant. That you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate will be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it. Let's go ahead and pray. God, this morning as we just continue to step back and take some time to understand what it is that we as a church believe about all of these things, it continues to be a challenge to study for, uh, it continues to be a challenge to know how best to say these things. And, and, and in some cases, what is it that we actually believe about these things? And God, I just um, pray that this morning as, as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is, is active in doing, I just pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill this place, to be at work in our hearts, to be changing us, to be softening us, 
where, where we have hearts of stone and where we need hearts of flesh. I pray that you would be at work in, in changing those hearts. Places where we may be rigidly holding on to some sin that's still present in our life or, or we're, we're confused about what it is that you desire for us to do as your people. And I just pray that that you would send your Holy Spirit here and you would give us understanding, give us knowledge of who you are and how you work, um, that you would give us, you would give me the right words to say that, that you would make much of yourself and take away the pride that, that we sometimes hold on to, thinking that we may know best, but God, that you would just soften our hearts and cause us to desire to relax and rest into your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit today. Um, and just, just as a note, we're preaching this sermon series of, hey, these are the things that we at CRC believe, but these are things that we still struggle through too. There are parts about the rest of the series that we are still like actively working through, how do we say this best? What do we actually believe? And there are areas that we're not 100% on the same page on things. And, and, I, can, and I can tell you, we are, we are praying and we are, we are hoping to see God continue to give us the words to say as we teach these things. Know that, know that what, what it is that, that I'm teaching, this is, this is how I think this is. So I'm not teaching this as a, I have no idea on some of these things. I'm teaching this as, as I read scripture, this is what I see. But, but know that if you're struggling to understand some of these things, you're like, I don't know that I agree with the way you presented that. That makes perfect sense because these things are hard sometimes. I think these last two weeks have been some of the hardest sermons for me to prepare um, in recent memory. Just because we're so used to going through long books of the Bible and, and the next thing that we're going to teach is just presented in the next section of verses. But when we're teaching more topically, like on who God the Father is and what we believe about all of the aspects of God the Father's character, that's a hard thing to prepare for because you could go like we did anywhere and everywhere. And we were in basically the whole Bible. We were all over the place last week when we were reading about Jesus. We're going to be all over the place again this week when we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and we're going to have questions, and I love that we have questions. That's why we have, that's why we have community. That's why we have each other. That's why we can talk to each other and share the questions and concerns that we have so, so I don't want us to be um, off-put by this. Some, some of this stuff seems really confusing or some of this stuff seems really hard or I don't necessarily think I agree with everything. That's good. That's okay. Let's, let's talk about it and try to understand best um, how it is that we can, we can reconcile these things. If you want to now, go ahead and start turning to John chapter 16 and Acts chapter 2. Um, we'll go ahead and get started. So you can find John chapter 16, leave a mark, and then skip over to Acts chapter 2 right after that. First thing that I want to establish, because um, I know growing up, it's just I think we naturally start to put things in a hierarchy because that's just what we're used to seeing. And growing up when I was thinking about the Trinity, when I was thinking God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I always saw it as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, like God was over the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, so the Spirit's subordinate. And we talked a little bit about that when we talked Trinity last week, that, that 
We don't believe that the members of the Trinity are subordinate to one another. They, they have different levels of authority. They have different roles, for sure, because the Holy Spirit is responsible for a whole lot of different things that Jesus wasn't responsible for. And the Holy Spirit sure didn't come in the flesh and die on a cross for us. So they are different in their purposes, but, but equal in, in their authority and, and their, their godness, if you will. I don't even think that's really a word. But, but just like God the Father, just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit has existed for all eternity before creation and will continue to exist for all eternity just like the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit has always been in existence. It's not that this was a brand new creation that came into being after Jesus finished his earthly ministry and now we get some Holy Spirit, this new thing's coming along. It's not that. The Holy Spirit was going to become active in a different way after Jesus' ascension back into heaven, after his work on the cross was completed. But, but the Holy Spirit has been around even in throughout the whole Old Testament. We're not going to get into a lot of the Old Testament um, instances where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. But, but the Holy Spirit would, would be active in the lives of God's people, mostly for like short-term moments. Like, hey, the, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he did this thing. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he did this thing. Individuals would be given, would be filled with the Holy Spirit at different points. But it wasn't, there wasn't this blanket when you're in Christ, granted because Christ hadn't come yet. But when you're, when you're one of the people of God, you automatically were filled with the Holy Spirit like we're going to talk about today. Like we're going to talk about for the New Testament church. Those of us who have come after Christ's work was completed. Right? So, so I just want to establish, I'm not trying to disregard the Old Testament this morning because the Holy Spirit was an active member of the Trinity throughout the whole Old Testament. But, but for, for our sake, for, for practical application about what we believe the Holy Spirit is actively doing um, in the hearts and the lives of the church today, we're going to focus more on post-Christ New Testament Holy Spirit. So I'm going to give you three points today. I'm just going to go and give them to you up front so that you have them. And then I'm going to go through and I'm going to kind of build a case for each of the points using Scripture. So uh, the Holy Spirit, this is kind of true of all of these. The Holy Spirit was the promised follow-up of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ for three reasons. One, to dwell in the hearts of believers, bringing about new standards for righteous living. It's a long sentence. I'm going to say it again. To dwell in the hearts of believers, bringing about new standards for righteous living. Second, the Holy Spirit was the promised follow-up for the earthly ministry of Jesus to enable miraculous works in believers that can only be attributed to the power of God. Say it again. Enable miraculous works in believers that can only be attributed to the power of God. And third, to regenerate and renew the hearts of unbelievers to bring them to salvation. Regenerate and renew the hearts of unbelievers to bring them to salvation. So let's talk about what I mean in all of these. Um, you're, you're in John 16. The first thing I said was he was the promised follow-up to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's just read that. So I'm going to be in John 16. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. Jesus, speaking about the Holy Spirit, says, And when he comes, 
He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You're already in Acts chapter 2. I'm not, so i got to flip. But over in Acts chapter 2, and I'm actually going to go back just a little bit. To Acts chapter 1, this is verses 4 and 5. This is, again, Jesus talking after he's been resurrected. It says, And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus, preparing his people, said, I'm going to send this other helper who's going to come and be in you, and he's going to work within you in my absence. For great many things, right? Because he said in John 16, I'm not going to be here, so he's going to be what's demonstrating righteousness, what's teaching you what's right and wrong moving forward. He's the one who's going to be bringing about conviction for your sin and, and, and driving you toward repentance. He's the one who's going to be coming. But, but Jesus said, and this is, this is he's speaking to all, all the apostles who were gathered around him right before he, he ascends back into heaven. He says, but wait, don't go yet. Don't go until you've got this Holy Spirit. Just, just, just wait here, and in, in a short time, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and he's, going to, he's going to make his presence known. And if you've read the book of Acts, you know that that is true, because they're sitting around praying in their, in their home, waiting for the Holy Spirit, and they're like, we don't know what this is going to look like. And then it's like this sound of rushing wind and, and tongues of fire. I have no idea what that even means come in, this big display, and, and, and kind of set down on all of them. And at that moment, all of them start speaking in different languages that they didn't speak. And God timed this at the perfect time because it was during, it was during the celebration of Pentecost and all these people from outside of the region had come in who have their own languages and their own dialects and their own way of speaking. And all of a sudden, they're hearing the gospel preached in their own language by people who, who should not have known their language. Immediately there's this impactful presence felt as the Holy Spirit arrives and the people are able to, to hear and, and, and know the truth of the gospel. And they start gathering around and Peter stands up to speak to them. And that's what we're going to read here in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem... Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. You see, when people started walking around acting crazy and talking in all these different languages, they're like, what is wrong with these people? They have been drinking heavily, I'm sure. And Peter says, no, it's only the third hour of the day. There's not time for them to be that drunk yet. That's essentially what he's saying. But, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. Then the sun shall be turned into darkness, and by the and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this promised follow-up to Jesus' ministry is said to come. 
And as soon as he comes, he is immediately making an impact in the lives of the people to whom he's indwelling and the people around who are starting to hear this message of the gospel preached. Because what Peter is saying is, we knew that this was going to happen. We were told, we were told hundreds and thousands of years ago that, that this Holy Spirit was going to be sent down and you're going to see crazy things happen. You're going to see people dreaming dreams and speaking in different tongues and, and all of this different, this different manner of miraculous action is going to be taken place. And what Peter's saying is, that's today. That is happening. So, let's get into understanding what some of the specifics of what the Holy Spirit's role in the lives of believers is. So the first point was that he's going to dwell in the hearts of believers, bringing about new standards for righteous living. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it'll be on the screen. It says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit is actually living inside of believers. There is no, we talk, I kind of alluded to this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about God being able, being everywhere, being outside of time and space. So, so he's literally everywhere. There's nowhere we can go that he's not there. The same is true of a believer who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. There's nowhere that we can go that the Holy Spirit isn't with us. There's no place that we hide. There's no place that we can keep our, our, our non-church life hidden from him and do the things that we want to do or live our lives the way that we want to live. He's present with us. He's present with us wherever we go when we are saved. But I said it was more than just he dwells inside of us. That's the thing. It's not just that he's like, uh, God's baby monitor for us, right? It's not just that he's there so that God knows what's going on in our lives all the time. It's that he's there so he can bring about new standards for righteous living. Galatians 5, we've all heard this passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Again, whenever you get to those lists, and then he always throws in an and things like these, that's basically Paul saying, and any other crazy, sinful thing you guys could come up with. So when you say, well, he didn't say this on the list, he just added a, a dot, 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 and something else you come up with that's offensive to God. Because he knows that we are creatively sinful, and we will come up with, we will try to come up with, oh, look, here's a little caveat, this is okay now. No, anything else like this. But he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Oh, is there more? Did I have more up there? Oh, it goes on to the next page in my notes. Professional. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep 
in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the point that he's making is, when you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you don't just have God watching you all the time. You all of a sudden have a new set of desires, a new set, a new standard for right and wrong. You no longer desire these wicked things that he's listing out because he's saying the people who desire to do those things, to live by the flesh, are not in Christ. They are not saved. They are not um, being, being made new by him, being made to look like Christ. And they chase after these things and they do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But when you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he gives us a new standard. He gives us, he gives us new, new desires, new ways to behave. We're no longer jealous or angry or, or prone to, like, what are some of these? Fits of rage, dissensions. We don't bicker. We don't fight the same way anymore. Now we're filled with love and joy and peace. I'm not saying that an unsaved person can't demonstrate parts of these. But a person who is saved, a believer, a follower of Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit living in them, ought to be defined by the way that they are able to demonstrate these fruits of the Spirit. Because if the Spirit is in you, you're going to see the evidence that the Spirit is alive and active in you. This is one of those moments where preachers get to say, so think about yourself. Think through. It, when, when somebody reads these two lists, I'm not saying you're going to hit every single one on those, those um, works of the flesh. I'm not saying that if you're not in Christ, you're absolutely involved in orgies. As an example. But, would somebody who, who looks at how you live your life, who, who looks at the way you interact with the people around you, who looks at the way you interact with your, your family or your co-workers or your friends, would they say, that person's an angry person? Or would they say, that person is a patient person who loves people genuinely? Who always seems joyful even when things are maybe not going the way that you would assume they would want them to? Are they patient? Are they kind? All of these things. We desire to do these things because of the Holy Spirit living within us. Without living by the Holy Spirit, we would not desire to do those things. That's what he's saying here. He's saying we desire to do the works of the flesh unless we have the Holy Spirit living within us. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if we're alive, if the Holy Spirit is in us, let's... Let's live like we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And that is a standard that we don't desire apart from Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit living within us. Have you had your desires changed? That's really the question. Do you have a new standard for righteousness that is different from the desires of the flesh that you were born into? So that was point one. Again, it was that he dwells in the hearts of believers, bringing new standards for righteous living. Number two, the Holy Spirit enables miraculous works in believers that can only be attributed to the power of God. This is the fun one. If you want to go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, feel free. I'll give you a second. 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read 1 through 11. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of, there are, hmm, I can read, I promise. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, the ability to distinguish between Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each individually as he wills. All right, so let's get into spiritual gifts. Because this is one of those where, like, the church traditionally has been, like, in two different places on this. Um, you, have, you have some who say that these kinds of spiritual gifts, the idea of, like, actual prophecy or speaking in tongues or working miracles, or healing, ended with the apostles. That, that the, the active work, like in that way, of the Holy Spirit, those kinds of spiritual gifts ceased when the, with, with the close of writing the Bible. That was the last prophecy we ever needed. And those kinds of gifts and speaking in tongues, that doesn't happen anymore. We're done with those. Those people are called cessationists. Then you have people who are called continuationists. And those are the people who say, no, look, it says these things happen and we're still supposed to see them. So we should see speaking in tongues. We should see miracles. We should see prophecy. We should see, we should see people able to interpret tongues that somebody else is speaking. We should be able to see all of these different pieces. And this, this is where I can pretty confidently say that we at CRC believe in the continuationist side of this. Now, here's the caveat. And... I can't remember who posted the article a couple of months ago. It was either Daniel. I know Tori wrote on there for a while. There was an article that was like, I'm a practical cessationist. A person posted an article on the city a couple weeks ago. If you're not on the city, um, you should get on the city so you can see when people post some of these thoughtful questions or insights. It was basically a guy saying, I read in the Bible where it says these spiritual gifts should still exist. I'm reading what Peter said. And it said, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you're going to prophesy, and you're going to dream dreams until the perfect comes. I don't know if you've looked around, but it doesn't look very perfect in our world. I don't think the perfect has come yet, meaning that I think these spiritual gifts are still available to believers. And, and he was writing in this article, I believe all this. I can see it. However, I would have to say that I'm a practical cessationist, meaning... I don't have it active in my life. I don't pray for it to happen. I don't ask God to make these things real in my life. I'm, I, I see these things and I, and I hold back. Or I'm, I, I say, I believe it will happen. It's just that's not a thing for me. I mean, if, we said, if somebody said the same thing about Jesus, oh, I, 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 see, that it's a, I see that Jesus is a thing. He's just not for me. We would say, well, that person's not a believer. 
So somebody would say, oh, I see these spiritual gifts exist, but they're probably just not going to happen for me. We would say, that person's not really committed to the idea that these spiritual gifts can still exist. So, so we believe that these spiritual gifts can take place. And, and, I, and I made the point when I was making the whole point, enable miraculous works in believers that can only be attributed to the power of God. I think there's a purpose for those things to be there. Maybe it's, maybe it's to encourage the church. Maybe, maybe a word of prophecy or, or, or a word spoken in tongues is there to encourage the church and to remind us that God is powerful and in control and we can, we can, we can rejoice in seeing that working out of God in the church. It could also be that he is giving us specific words to say to people as we are presenting the gospel that maybe do not know who God is. That maybe have no understanding of, of these things and they need to hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit will enable us to give us the words to say. That is a thing that I think more of us will say has happened with us. I was talking to this person and I didn't know what to say and all of a sudden I just said this and it seemed like the perfect thing to say. I think that's the Holy Spirit giving us those words. And I think that is the Holy Spirit actively providing us with a spiritual gift. Prophecy doesn't necessarily mean predicting the future. When we see these things, it can just be speaking a word of truth from God for a people to hear at a time. I mean, if you think back through, through most of the, the Old Testament prophets, most of their messages were not about what was going to happen thousands of years in the future. A lot of times it was just, I'm calling you to repentance. Because you guys stink, right? That was the message. It's, you're in sin, you need to repent. I mean, in Acts chapter 2, the end, of, the end of Peter's message, they're saying, what do we need to do now? And he says, you need to repent, get baptized, follow Jesus. That's the call. And so I think prophecy is exactly that. When, when Peter got up there, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we see that several times throughout the rest of the book of Acts, he says, and then he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to speak. The Holy Spirit's given him kind of this like adrenaline rush of, of God-given power for a time. And they start to speak all this truth. And you see these amazing things that are happening, these amazing responses to the, to the gospel. And I think we should still expect and pray for God to give us these things. Give us the words to say. Give us, if, if it's God... You say that tongues is supposed to be a thing in the church. We should probably more actively as a church be praying that God would make that present in us. Not saying that all of a sudden we all start talking in, in different languages that none of us can understand and nobody can interpret. Because there's a Bible that says don't do that too. But within what scripture says is allowed for use of, use of spiritual gifts, I think we should expect to see these things because the Holy Spirit is active and involved in the life of the church. And I think we should expect to see miraculous things done through the church, through the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe we don't see it because we don't recognize it when it's actually there. Maybe we don't see it because we're too scared to ask God to make it happen in us. Maybe we don't see it because um, we're, we're just not all in yet as, as we need to be. Maybe we're just not fully committed to this idea in the way that we need to be.
but I think it's, it's, it's a prayer that we need to start praying as a church. To, to, I mean, we pray so much. We, 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 thank, we thank Jesus for what he's done, and we pray for salvation, and we pray to get to baptize people, but we don't do a good job of praying that the Holy Spirit would, would, would manifest himself in us through various spiritual gifts. And I'll be honest, a lot of times it's because I'm terrified to pray that, because I'm like, what if somebody wants to stand up and start speaking in tongues? Right? That's, that's me. That's me as pastor who's supposed to be like, overseeing and making sure all this stuff is done the way the Bible says. But it takes a little bit of faith, which he also says he gives us, right? Where was that? To each he gives a, man, a measure of faith. So maybe I also just need to pray that he would give me the confidence to pray for that prayer. <laughs> so he enables miraculous works in believers that can only be attributed to the power of God. Last point. The Holy Spirit lives within us to regenerate and renew the hearts and renew the hearts of unbelievers to bring them salvation. Titus 3. It's a small book, so I'm going to have trouble finding it. Keep flipping past it. There it is. Titus 3. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. time a couple weeks ago when I was talking about God the Father and I said that he doesn't need us um, like, like he's God he said if I need something I don't come ask you for it I, I'm God I, I get that thing if I desire something it happens um, and I love that in this verse it's just kind of reiterating that idea that he saved us because of himself what do we read at the beginning when we were in Ezekiel Today I'm going to do this not for your sake, but for my sake. For my name's sake, I'm going to act in this way. I'm going to save you, not because you deserve it, but because I know that when I save you, when I do this thing, when I, when I bring you back in and I make you a nation again, when I, when I take away the drought and I give you a harvest, when, when all these things happen, everybody's going to look at you and say, wow, their God's really amazing. So I'm not doing it for your sake. It's going to bless you. It's going to be good for you. But this thing that I'm doing for you is so that people will know who I am, will see, see me at work and glorify me. And so in Titus, he's saying, but when the goodness of our God appeared, he saved us not because we did anything, but according to his own mercy, but because he wanted to. He did not have to send his son to save us, but he desired to. He did not have to save us, but he desired to save us. How did he do it? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He saved us by renewing us with, by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actively at work in changing our hearts. Think back to Ezekiel again. You have a heart of stone. I'm going to take away 
that heart of stone, and I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to replace the, the, the cold, dead heart that you have with a new, living, beating heart made of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you. Then you will be alive. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, it's not just that he changes us or he changes our desires. He takes us from being, from being dead and having a heart made of stone to being alive. So what are we supposed to do with that knowledge? What do, what do we as the church do? If I'm saying the Holy Spirit does all this, it's not because we do anything. What do we do? We still preach the gospel. What is our job as the church? We're supposed to be like Peter, standing out in front of people, filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, repent, be baptized. What if you're not in Christ? What are you supposed to do? Repent, be baptized, follow Jesus. You are living in the flesh right now. You are, you are, like I said, maybe not all of that list in Galatians applies to you specifically, but, but your life is defined by, by, by the sinful, wicked working of the flesh. You're not, you're not driven by the Holy Spirit, so you're not filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if that's you, repent. Follow Jesus. And be baptized. That's, that's the call. Like, like Peter's message was not that elaborate. Sure, they might have shortened it up for the written down version that we get in Acts. But, but the message is basically, hey guys, we're not drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus? You guys killed him. But that's okay. That was his plan. You killed him so that he could, he could make atonement for our sins. So that he could send his Holy Spirit. That, that that's what you're hearing in us now. This powerful Holy Spirit who's, who's actively giving me the words to say to you. And it's okay. We knew that this was going to come. Look at what the Old Testament said. It said that this was going to happen. We were going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's his message. And then they're like, oh, so that guy we killed really was the Son of God. And he says, yeah. And they're like, ooh, that doesn't sound good for us. He's like, no, no, no. This is great for you. This is great for you. Now just repent and believe in him. That's it. Come with us. Come get baptized. And what happens? What do we see? We see thousands of people getting baptized that day. A couple weeks later, we see them, we see them adding to the church day after day those who are being saved. Same message, same Holy Spirit at work in those people's hearts. Their message doesn't change just because it's the Holy Spirit who's at work. They're still out preaching the same gospel just like we ought to be doing. And if you don't have the truth of the gospel living inside of you, that's what you need to hear. Stop living your life like the first half of Galatians 5. Follow Jesus and he'll give you a new set of desires, a new set of actions, a new standard for right and wrong. And you'll have this new desire to live according to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.